welcome to Fintech Insider. I'm Simon Taylor and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Sam Moll. How are you? Hi, Simon. I'm getting there. My coffee is starting to kick in. It's starting to kick in. You're starting to wake up a little bit. It's, it's still a different time zone for you. You're adjusting a little bit, I guess. You know, that's, that's true every day. It's always a different time zone. It's <laughs> You'll get there, my friend. But we are buzzing today. Um, Your coffee might not have you fully buzzing, but by the end of this show, you definitely will be because we've been taken over by Pension B. That's it. It's the Pension B takeover coming to you hive, coming to you live from their offices in Southwark Street. Um, We're joined by Romy, the CEO of Pension B. Romy, how are you? I'm doing pretty well, doing buzzing. (laughs) (laughs) Good to have you on the show. Uh, Jasper Martins, who's Chief Marketing Officer. Jasper. Hey, morning, morning, welcome in the beehive. Ah, uh, yes, it's, it's nice to be here. Uh, <laughs> Jonathan Lister Parsons, who's the CTO. Hi, no, no bee-flavoured puns from me. I'm just good. We have one for later, we'll have one for later. You're being sensible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is way too early <laughs> to be doing it. Well, that's not the only pun of the show. I'm sure there'll be more. I can't resist them, but uh, let's get on with the show. All right, so 100,000 people use Pension B. Congratulations. Um, Let's start with your origin story. Yeah, I'm very happy to tell you the story of how Pension B came to be. Um, It really started with a pension transfer experience gone wrong. So when I left Morgan Stanley, I had to move my own money out of the company's pension scheme. And that proved to be rather difficult tried to call big pension companies and no one wanted to talk to me. Um, no one wanted the money for some bizarre reason. Um, they all told me to go and get financial advice, which I tried to do. And I left my name on various websites and no one called me back. Um, so it became very clear that this wasn't going to be as easy as I thought. Finally, I made it onto one of the big platform providers um, and they said, here you go. Here's 20 pages of paperwork. Um, you know, go ahead and fill this in, take it to the post office and hopefully your money will come. Uh, eventually it did. Uh, and they showed me a menu of a couple of thousand different investment options and said, pick one. Uh, and I did. Uh, and of course, the money went down and I realized that the fees were exorbitant. Um, and that was around 2014 when Jonathan and I met um, and he had his own kind of pension horror story um, that we very much knew how to solve at this point. Ooh, yes. enter Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so I'd I'd been a few years out of um, BT, you know, big big corporate uh, healthy pension scheme. And like most people, when I left the company, uh, I didn't think to do anything with the pension. Uh, it's just a just money that was you know, eventually going to come to me when, when I retired. Uh, and I think that's a fairly typical viewpoint. But as uh, is also common uh, for people living in London, I'd moved house you know, three or four times in the intervening three or four years. And I ended up completely losing track of all the paperwork. I didn't think to keep the pension company notified. I didn't even really know who the pension company was. So the paperwork wasn't following me around anymore. So I really had completely lost touch with this pension. And, that, you know, that's not great because I did. I woke up one Sunday morning and thought, I've got that money kicking around somewhere. I don't really know how much that is. How do I, how do I find that out? And there was just no way for me to sort of act on that impulse. A sudden worry. Sudden it's ma- a sudden worry, yeah. yeah. Sort of worry tinged with... I'm sure there's more there than I think there is, but I'm not quite sure. And that feels like I ought to know. And then this kind of paralysis of, 
well, what on earth do I do about that? And then the administrative nightmare when you do try and chase it down the rabbit hole of... Absolutely. I mean, the, the whole market is not designed for consumers. It's designed for somebody else. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what, what we quickly discovered is that we were not alone. Um, in fact, government reforms to have employees automatically enrolled in pensions wherever they work made it increasingly likely um, that everyone would be in our position with one or more languishing pensions um, that they simply didn't know anything about. And the average person switches jobs 11 times. I like um, that number. <laughs> it's high. It's high. Um, so, you know, we figured... We need to build something, um, ideally a technologically based service that will help people to quickly find and combine their pensions into one new online plan. Um, and that was really the end of 2014. And of course, you know, then began the uphill startup battle um, of finding investors, finding business partners, getting a team on board, um, and eventually launching the product. And that took us around two years. But, you know, here we are 100,000 people later. And you've got sort of people transferring, I guess, as it sounds like, pensions from all over the where they've worked throughout their career into Pension B. So how does how does that actually work? So I go onto the Pension B website, um, I enter some details about another pension, and you guys do what? I see you've got a Millennium Falcon behind you, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> we do we do quite a lot of things in the background that are now very automated. So um, the information that you give us, we use that to contact the various pension providers where we believe your pension to be located. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do that through a series of automations. Now, to be honest, on the other side, there may be faxes coming out, but on our side, it's smooth. Um, and then once, you know, we've tracked down that money, we combine it into the pension B pension and you get to pick one of three, you know, great money managers, three of the biggest in the world. So we work with BlackRock, State Street and Legal and General to actually manage your money. And what we discovered really quickly after launch is that people don't just want to combine and then have the money sitting there. They actually want a lot of things around money management. So we quickly found that they wanted to top up their pensions. They wanted to see how their money was doing relative to how much they had put in. You know, our over 55 customers wanted to begin drawing down. People wanted to have simple calculations of what their money could be worth in the future. Um, and so a lot of customers started making their voices heard. Um, and we've pretty much followed their demands. So I guess your yeah. wish is our command if you're a customer. <laughs> so I have, I have a question for you. If you can tell by my accent, I don't live here. Um, in the U.S., our listeners that are there, probably a couple in Canada too, are probably wondering what this pension thing is that you mentioned because as a country, we're morons. <laughs> that was for all of my American <laughs> listeners. So this concept of having um, you know, an actual pension that you can draw up against. In the U.S., we implemented 401ks, in the 90s, right? So we had defined contribution come in, and we've created a, um, what's the word I want to use? I can't use the word I want to use. We, we have a crisis in the U.S. when it comes to actual savings and retirement. So something like this, a solution like this, um, one is fascinating for me, but can you talk a little bit about 
and let's kind of give a foundational um, overview of how the pension system works in the UK, if you don't mind, just for the international audience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what you call pensions in the U.S., we here call defined benefit pensions. And so when we as Pension B talk about pensions, we are almost always talking about defined contributions. Um, and that in the US is equivalent to 401ks. Um, so the equivalent of, you know, our service in the US is when you switch jobs multiple times and you leave your 401k with the old employer and you wake up one day and you realize, oh, my 401k is with this old employer. Let me get it into one simple plan. And I think you guys do rollovers is, right. is what it's yeah, called. Yeah, you could yeah. roll over, for example, like to a Fidelity or something like that. Yes, and, yeah. And do plans that way. Yeah, and that that whole system and that whole process is really difficult in the UK. And some people have said it's really difficult in the US. Oh, it's horrific. Yeah. Yeah, the so. same experience is there, meaning when you get there and you have to do it, you have no clue what you're doing. And the assistance is... it. it the way the documentation is done, you know, it's it's actually written, like you said, for the company. So, and y'all come out of tech and, and Romy, you come out of financial services itself. If you don't understand it, how does the, the typical layman or woman understand it? No, they, well, they don't. That's that's the whole problem. So let's talk about your customers. I mean, Jasper, who are the, your customers? Where are they? Are they all sort of young and in London? Uh, no, um, oh. and that's I guess <laughs> I guess that's a short answer, but a slightly longer answer. Um, everybody has pensions now in the UK, so it's not it's not this innovative investment product uh, that everybody wants to get their hands on. Actually, everybody these days now will have a pension because uh, first of all, you're auto enrolled. So um, I think that's for one. Um, but people have been building up these pensions, moving jobs more than ever. You said something important there. Yeah, in the UK, a couple of years ago, there was legislation introduced that basically said every company, every employer must auto-enroll their employees into some sort of pension scheme. Yes. So now this affects far more people than it used to. Yes, Everybody will now be. Uh, everybody will now have a pension where they work. So that's one. So um, and then you move jobs more than ever. So everybody in the UK will be building up lots of these smaller pension pots that are dotted around. And therefore, if you look at our typical customer, uh, it's not somebody who is a, a high earner in London. It's, it can also be somebody uh, uh, completely somewhere else in the country. Uh, just move jobs. What's the split? So 80% of our customers are based outside of London. Only 20%, I would say, if we are defining it, are within the M25 or just a little bit around. So most of them will be actually outside. Um, and typical customer is in their 30s or 40s or in the midst of their careers. And they just move jobs and they just had this neck and question, like Jonathan said, like you have this neck and there's money somewhere lying around and you just want to get it all in one place. And this year, um, also a lot of more older customers have joined Pension B as well. Uh, like Romy said, people just also now want to start taking money out of their pension. It's not just about building pension pots. And I guess it's that sense of control. Yes. Ultimately, it's can I see it? Can I understand it? And am I in control of it? And therefore, can I have some flexibility with it? So talk to me then about if that's the benefit to kind of the end customer, you know, where do you guys benefit? Like what you're not a charity. How do you guys make money? What's what's your business model look like? Sure. So we I mean, we offer everything for free 
uh, up until the point where your money is actually with Pension B. Um, and at that point, we charge an annual management fee, uh, which is very competitive in the market. And I think what really distinguishes us is that we charge one fee. So we don't go and layer on um, our fee, the money manager's fee, taxes that you can't find on our website and things like that. There's just one price. Um, and so that ranges between 0.5% and 0.95%. Yeah, when I was doing a little bit of of um, prep for this, what I liked is, and you also, the way your fee structure is, you incentive, you give an incentive for me to want to save. Yeah. Because when I hit a certain tier, those fees actually drop a little bit, right? That's right. Yeah. So we want people to build up pensions so that they can have a great retirement. That's the vision of the company. Um, and we think our fee structure needs to reflect that. But that increases your AUM, right? So that's actually not your assets under management. So it's, it's not, again, a charitable thing entirely. There's a benefit to you guys there, but it's an alignment of incentives. It's an alignment of incentives. And that's I think right. that's something that in business models in fintech, more broadly, we're starting to see more and more of. Rather than punitive fees, it's much more around aligning incentives um, that, that's kind of the model it's interesting so there's a chap uh, dr chris sear from leeds university and, and i can see you smiling i think you may yeah, know the guy i know chris quite well <laughs> um so he he did a study into the whole asset management industry and the opacity um as you go through all of these layers from where your pension is held to where your pension is managed to where the fund is to where the fund ad- is administered to where the fund is custodied and all the way back uh, to where it's traded all of the uh, to the underlying assets there are all of these fees all the way through the industry and to, to provide a flat fee and to provide some sort of transparency into that is, is kind of um, potentially hugely beneficial. Um, let's talk to though um, a little bit about what you think the impact on the industry could be um, of, of folks like yourselves. Do you see um, space for this being a part of everyday banking uh, and what interaction would you like consumers to, to have with your brand? Well, okay, so I think that w- one of the impacts is definitely around that feeling of control which you mentioned earlier because you go from having a pension experience that feels a bit humiliating as you realize that you've you know you're, you're sort of bamboozled by a gigantic industry that's not designed for you uh, to one where actually taking uh, control of your long-term savings and starting to think more positively and healthily about your future is something that is only as difficult as sort of current account banking or foreign currency exchange or ISAs. And, you know, it's, it's something that just becomes part of a mix, some part of your overall financial livelihood, your overall financial picture. So instead of it being this distant thing that I don't touch, it's, it's, it's part of that picture. And being part of the picture... Where does open banking play into that? You guys have integrated yeah. to Starling. We love guys- open banking. Yeah. We love open banking. I mean, the, the future of financial services is to see all of your products in one place. And that doesn't necessarily mean having the same provider for everything. I mean, you know, do you buy all of your clothes from one shop? You know, you probably don't. I hope you don't. Um, but but I have you met me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but I can buy all of my clothes from one laptop. And I think that's the, the key. Exactly. That is the key. And, and that is what's been critical about open banking, that you can bring together what we like to call today's money and tomorrow's money into one simple view. Um, and we think that once people start to associate their future selves with their today selves, they can actually start improving their savings outcomes. So when it comes to pensions, and savings in general, the most important thing is how much money you put in. That's basically, you know... And how early you put it in. And how early you put it in. But assuming that you are, you know, being charged 
a market fair level of fees and performances as performance is the single most important thing is how much money you put in. Mm. Um, and so we believe that through open banking and through the aggregation of finances, we can create a level of engagement that encourages people to save more. Yeah. Um, and so open banking really fulfills a business purpose again for us of having, you know, helping people to find us more quickly, but also at the same time, it fulfills the consumer's objective of getting ready for retirement. How good are UK folks at actually saving? Because I can tell you Americans are horrific and I have numbers that I'll hit on in a second. We're but not how that are great. We? We're not that great. So I mean, if you're horrific, then I mean, I don't know where that leaves us because we well, looked right at me and, and said, you're horrific. <laughs> yeah, and you're right. Well, no, oh, because the UK yeah. is notoriously um, shy about talking about money, whereas in the US, you guys just do talk about your 401k and this one was good and this one was bad. You're much more open with money. Yeah, as you a, say that, but... So, so in the nineties, this is what I did. I worked for Northern Trust and did DB and DC management, right? So I watched this 401ks came in in the U.S. and watched savings just disappear. So in the U.S. right now, um, baby boomers, and I'm not one, Simon, because baby boomers, sure? I'm not a baby boomer. I'm borderline Gen X, but we've got 10,000 boomers a day retiring, 10,000 individuals a day. The average savings in the U.S. in a, in a retirement plan, for somebody in their 50s, $117,000. That's it. That's impossible. A lot of people retiring. They're not. And also jobs are going away, right? So what you do is you end up going to to Walmart or an Asda and the greeter is me in 20 years welcoming you to Walmart. In the 60s, the average is $172,000. I believe it's something like 36% of Americans have zero money in savings. So it gets back to this is something that has to start very early. And you have to continue to contribute to it. But I, I love your product because it's it's very much life event driven, but throughout your whole life cycle, right? So when you look like somebody like me, once you hit in your 50s, you really get interested and, you're, I'm, and you have calculators, right? So I can go and look and see if I have to contribute more, what my withdrawals will be. So you can start withdrawing in the UK when you're what, 55? 55, yes. yeah. Are, do you have minimum distributions that you're forced to take? At a certain age, we no. do in the U.S. No, 25% is tax-free. Um, so people really focus on that amount to begin with. Uh, and then the rest, I mean, the, the the trend that we've seen in the U.K. is that people leave their money alone. Um, and so when we had pension freedoms, which was a couple of years ago, and you were allowed to begin drawing down into cash because previously you had to buy an income for life from an insurance company. But, you know, when we got pension freedoms, People were really worried that, you know, customers would just withdraw their savings, buy Ferraris, um, mm. depending on how big their pension was, uh, and go on a giant spending spree. And that just has not materialized. Um, so we are seeing a level of responsibility around savings. Um, but that forward thinking psychology that needs to happen in your 30s and 40s around contributions, it hasn't quite hit us yet, um, but it will. It takes time. Um, I think us witnessing a generation coming up to retirement and struggling a little bit uh, is what's going to force people to talk about this more at barbecues and dinner parties and, and things like that, which is what we try and, and get people to do already. <laughs> and also, if you just focus on that total number of your pension pot you need, you ought to have to have a good retirement. That puts a lot of people off straight away, especially if they don't know how to engage with it. So I guess open banking is a perfect opportunity where we've seen our customers connecting through, for example, Yolt 
uh, we recently integrated or with Starling, actually they contribute more. Um, and focusing on the contribution level, uh, which, did a, which did actually quite a nice research last year. If you're 30 and you want to have a good retirement, if you contribute 198 pounds a month, that will actually buy you a quite a good retirement. Um, and that sounds much more uh, in line with uh, uh, what you want to save. Interesting that you've got the stats there available, but you can also activate that through the the thing I have to look at every day, which is my current account. Yeah. And that engagement is a good thing. You kind of, on the one hand, the there's a there's a cognitive bias that suggests just leave your pension alone but the the evidence that you're presenting here is no visibility is a good thing because it forces you to think longer term and and forcing you to think longer term is good for your long-term health yes yeah i'll tell you what else i loved about um looking at the application is is when the onboarding part right when i go and I'm, i'm onboarding that journey through your app i love that you have three choices not a million choices, which is confusing as anything, right? To know where to move my money into. You kept the tiers very simple. That was really, really smart. Yeah. I mean, we, we've been testing that a lot. <laughs> well, the choice of three, right? That's, yeah. that's an incredibly well-known, well, I say that. Yeah. In, in design, three is a magic number. Right. It is. And I guess um, if it, simplicity can be a really powerful thing, um, but, and it, it kind of, I guess, helps with your conversion, would be my guess. Yeah. I mean, when we started, the, the choice between the plans was a bit more sort of financially driven. But one of the things that we learned really early on was that the way that people pick between pension plans, you know, they're not we're not catering to an audience who are comfortable talking about things like asset allocations or investment geographies. They are interested in in the goals. You know, maybe they're they're not planning on retiring for thirty years. They want to put the money away and know that it's going to grow, and they're not really worried about kind of other features of that. Or maybe they're fifty four and actually they're looking at something that's going to you know have a higher likelihood of staying at a reasonable level because they want that certainty over the money that they're drawing out. So we tried to make the plans focus on things like, you know, are you investing because you feel like you want to put your money towards sort of ecological or sustainable investment, in which case you maybe want to pick the future world fund? Um, or are you just one of those kind of fire and forget investors, in which case maybe you want to go into the tailored fund because it you know adjusts its, its investments over time. You don't need to worry about it so much. You know, it's like these sorts of things are very simple. Oh, I can identify with that kind of products. And and that you know that's been a, a big a, certainly a big shift from where we started where we were exposing a lot more of the underlying financial information and I guess that adjusting as you go and with the digital front end uh, you're in this interesting space as well of like you you live in a world of analog paper and faxes and all of this sort of stuff and well, yeah yeah as much as we try to hide that from the customers of course but but you are right but also on on the front end as well you're using APIs to integrate with with open banking. Can you see a future in which you know, this this pension pain starts to go away? What what do you what do you see for consumers, and what do you see for the impact on the industry being, or what would you like to see? Because I think this this paper world you find yourselves in seems to be one that you're dealing with the pain, but it can't be scalable that you guys deal with paper all the time. You're going to have to have some automation in here. Like, how, how's that all going to work? Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of automation on our side, and you know, basically. I want to say almost everything is automated except for exceptions. 
um, you know, where, where things, <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's, that is the general that's strategy. The yeah. yeah. And what does that look like in, in numbers for me? Sort of what are, what are your exception percentages on, you know, sort of across your user base you know, yeah. in the late, in the last sort of three months or something? Well, I mean, the way we think about it is, um, where do you need human support really? Um, and you know, on our side, an individual human support person who, pun time again, we like to call beekeepers, um, can manage several thousand clients in one year, right? So that gives you a sense um, as to the level of automation that we have. Um, You know, whereas at normal financial services companies, like, Find me a human who can manage several thousand clients. Um, it's, it's, it's so that ratio is a really good hack. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like the um, the old Facebook engineers to users kind of ratio. Yeah. How many? Uh, and how does that benchmark against the industry? And of course, I mean, what do our beekeepers spend time doing? They they spend time talking to customers, answering questions, not often, stealing honey. If you've seen not bee- stealing <laughs> honey, no, no, no honey in the building. They're doing things that we actually want to have humans doing. Right. So, you know, in financial services, it's great to have automation. And again, one of our, you know, early hypotheses was that everything should be automated and there should be no humans and we should pretend there's only robots in the background. But actually, customers like humans. um, Especially when it's a big emotional decision, right? So, and and shout out to Paul Titterton, um, uh, ex-Bark, who's now uh, CYBG, who talked about uh, the competitive advantage of a human. Uh, and the competitive advantage of a human is around empathy, creativity. Uh, and it's those key life moments where the computer can tell me it's fine, but I want a person. Exactly, me, exactly. Know? And w- even where things are can be automated, sometimes we will choose not to automate them because we like the human touch. Mm, yeah. Gotta love that human touch. But the thing I would say is that once you've made that decision and you've had the human support and you've come to that point where you think, okay, now I want all of these pensions into my pension be pot, that's the point where the automation matters and that's where the robots do their job well. Because what we're aiming to do is take this process, which you know could be a six-month process if you were doing it by yourself, of going, okay, I've got my you know XYZ pensions from different employers and they're in different pension providers and I want to move those together. You could easily spend six months going back and forth, you know, even, even to the post office, but certainly on the phone a lot and struggling to find a fax machine and you know send off your birth certificate places. It's crazy. I've had a letter to send uh, just about something you know, completely irrelevant is to do with um, a, a former property posting an old key back. Haven't done it in two weeks. It's sitting on my desk. Just getting to a post office isn't. It's, it's, it's worse than that. It's opening the mail. You know, how many people have a stack of mail at home Me. and you just think, oh, I'll get to it uh, the weekend and then you don't? So, so culturally, to give you a, um, kind of a picture of the US. We have an election that's coming up. Midterm elections, we call yes, them. Incredibly important. Yeah, trust me. I know. Um, come on, Florida. People come out and vote. But one of the issues they're actually running in with a younger demographic, I'll say the millennial word, is that for their absentee balances, one of the reasons they're finding that people aren't doing them, they don't know where to buy stamps. They've oh. never bought stamps in their life, and they have no clue where to go and buy them. And so they're seeing a massive drop. I know, isn't it? We're I laughing, but that. think yeah. about that. Yeah. i got to be honest. Yeah. I haven't used a stamp in... 
decade, probably a decade. Wow. I can't think of the last time I, I physically actually mailed something. Wow, you're lucky. My mum, God bless her, sends me a card every year and insists I send her a Christmas card. So you know, there's definitely stamp stamps still happening. You have. better stockpile on those stamps because <laughs> yeah, uh, I got to help Sam out. I got to take you to uh, the post box and show you how it's done. I'm the oldest person in the room. <laughs> I don't use stamps. Is mind control the tech industry's greatest invention? That's one of the questions the Financial Times FT Weekend is currently asking. Each week, FT Weekend brings together an intelligent mix of news, compelling stories, and global lifestyle journalism. To read the article on mind control and a selection of other articles, visit ft.com forward slash open minds. Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation, and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation, and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra. But speaking demographics, um, according to you guys, there's a, a 31% gap between male and female pensions, and that by the time women reach their 50s, men have a pot that's almost twice as big in terms of pension size. That is what we found. Wow. And, and is this, are you seeing this in the contributions of your customers as well? Is this, um, and, and do you have any views as to what's causing that? Because, um, you know, is this maternity leave? Is this lifestyle? What's, what, or, is it, or is it just simply the, the gender pay gap? Or is it a combination of all of the above? It's obviously a combination of things. Um, if there was one simple answer, then it would have been solved. Yeah. But it, it is a combination of things. I think the gender pay gap is a really important one. Um, I mean, we've had a lot of publications recently within the country around, you know, pay gaps um, across all industries. And basically, there is a pay gap in every industry and, and across levels, but especially at senior levels. Yeah. Um, it's For some reason, it's really hard for women who do the same job as men to get paid the same amount. And that's probably the main driver, in my opinion, because, again, what you put in determines what you take out. If the income isn't there. If the income isn't there, you can't really save. No. So that's kind of, that, that's definitely one of the big things. I think maternity leave is a contributor to the gender pay gap, mm. um, if anything, because once you are out of the workforce for six months, I'm just going to be honest, you end up falling behind. Um, and there are people out there, men in particular, who are not taking six months off to look after a baby, who are there and who are ready to move forward. And that level of competitive disadvantage is just the cold, hard reality of, of how it is. Even though, trust me, as a mom, looking after your children is actually the hardest job in the world. So, you know, it's in some ways, it's just unfair. Um, but it is what's causing the financial gap. Uh, and then the third thing is around products. You know, the products out there, the financial services products are 
particularly disengaging for women. Um, so studies have shown that women more so than men are put off by jargon and the feeling of it's not for me. Um, but the most important thing to solve is the gender pay gap. Um, and then I think the women will take um, notice of the products a lot more too. Um, and perhaps, you know, the jargon won't be as off-putting. And that's what I like very early on when we talked about onboarding and how you engage with Pension B, as you talked about, this is, we really talk about goal setting, right? Get, get rid of the jargon and talk of the goal setting side. So in the U.S., Sally Krawcheck has Elevest, right? Which is literally focused on um, women and investing and putting money. And now you don't have to be a woman and to, you know, men are, can go in and actually use the application. But as part of the onboarding is all driven around goal-based planning right and how you engage because they they saw the same thing their numbers jump when you get rid of the jargon and talk in terms that people understand and and um you know my wife would definitely back this up i create spreadsheets she talks about goals right i i I set these very linear targets my wife's like no 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 come on let's bring everything into this when we talk about it and how we're going to do it i think everything what you need to what you communicate as a financial company um we always talk about here uh, give it a testron score so if it's if it's full of uh, like uh, performance latest funds etc etc and it's almost like you know it's a high it has a high testron score uh, most women but also a lot of men actually are turned off by that because they want to uh, work towards goals so give it g- g- what you communicate if you give it a testosterone score and if it's too high you probably want to change are you that. saying testosterone so, yeah, testosterone okay. score. it sounds like test one <laughs> what's there you, you said it early on right you can automate everything that's great but be human yeah. at the end of the day exactly. right be human engage I feel, that I feel way like there's a lot of laziness actually in the way that um badly put together products are put out into the market the jargon is is you know nobody's bothered to cut the jargon down yeah. And actually, so this is the old Steve Jobs quote, um, simple is hard, simplest is harder. Yes. Like actually simplifying is a really hard thing to do when you've got consumer Because you're an expert. <laughs> well, well yeah. you really understand the stuff and you understand the intricacies of the different bits of language and what they mean. So cutting that down, yes, you've got the observer bias and you've got confirmation bias. But on top of that, when you are then trying to simplify, you've now really got to think about, well, but does the customer really understand? Um, have I changed something beyond the point of it being uh, making sense and this is why i think financial education becomes so crucial and um you know do people need to be taught about these products a little bit what do you guys do in terms of financial literacy and increasing that i think there's definitely a lack of some financial literacy uh, as well here in the uk where we operate where people have no sense about um what's pension saving could do for them to give you an example 62 percent of people don't know that a pension actually costs money their current pension so how do you explain fees if majority of the uk population don't know that actually now being currently being charged at their uh, with their old pension so you're being charged but you're not contributing yes so so how do you explain that that uh, sense so definitely explaining that in a non-jargon way like we talked about is is absolutely key Uh, i think the other thing um that's I feel is really apparent here in the UK is fear around um, saving for later. So every time things like pensions are mentioned, there seems to be uh, quite a, a big, I would say, a lobby of people saying like, oh, you shouldn't touch that. That's a very complicated product. Um, you need to talk to somebody to really sort that out, for example, um, as in like go to an advisor because it's that complicated. And actually, if you simplify, like we talked about, it's not that complicated. You can simplify those things. Are there regulations around needing to take um, independent financial advice and 
and and do we think that's actually made it harder for people because i know when i was trying to transfer into pension b full admission i'm a customer one of the reasons that one of the big um kind of pensions that i use wouldn't let me do it is because i hadn't sent them a letter from an independent financial advisor and i'm like yeah but i know what i'm doing like i've read the stuff i think i understand this and i'm me like get out of my way law is there something yeah there there is there is a regulation for defined benefit pensions Ah. and certain other pensions with protected features right effectively i won't go into the jargon of what they are and if that pension has a value over thirty thousand pounds then yes you do need to get advice but one of the things that really frustrates our customers is that they cannot find an advisor who is interested in them first of all Um, and second of all if they do the fees are exorbitant Um, so i think the law is well-meaning um, the problem is the reality makes it hard to execute in a way that actually benefits consumers. And I think this is the interesting thing of, uh, you know, where would this fall? Because this is law. Does the FCA have um, purview? And is this inside the perimeter around IFAs? And is it something for um, like a sandbox type of thing to be to be thinking about? Because I always thought that the FCA sandbox was ideal for these sorts of things where the law is well-meaning, but in practice, what it's really doing is creating admin. Well, I think, if anything, the FCA has moved in the opposite direction. Um, and when it does come to define benefit transfers, the current thinking, and I guess the current mantra is that unless there is a very special circumstance in which you should do a defined benefit transfer, it's best to leave it where it is. Um, and that is the mantra right now. And, so, and I'm guessing that's not always the case, though. Um, it's not always the case. There are certainly times when it's better to move your money. But I think the FCA is much more concerned around protecting consumers who do have very big defined benefit pensions and who could be giving up, you know, a fantastic retirement in order to move into high charging products. Not everyone is moving to pension B. (laughs) So what's the the trigger event? So if I was to move to the UK, I, I used to work here. Simon and I worked together back in the day. So I had a pension at that point. We technically work together now, too. Eh. <laughs> Thanks for raising that point. Um, but but how do, how do I become aware of Pension B, right? Because this is a, a life event, right? I, yes. I go to switch jobs, and, and that's where the awareness would come. So how do I find out about you? So I guess you're much more in the zone of um, seeking a solution like Pension B when you are switching jobs. So that's the start. Um, but I think what we've come across is that most customers uh, who have found out about us, they always their, their first thought is like, I didn't know you could do this because I didn't know you can actually move this. So in terms of finding out about us, what we're trying to do is making as many people as we possibly can aware of the fact that this solution exists and is actually not that hard. So I don't think a lot of people are typing in pension consolidation in their Google's browser um, at, and then start consolidating. Some people do, uh, especially when you're nearing retirement. Uh, a lot of people we make aware through video. Uh, on their Instagram feed, on their commute back home. Um, most of our traffic is mobile. So it's, um, um, you know, you, you see the product in action and, you know, you're on your commute, you're, on, you're, you're browsing for your Facebook feed or you see it on Instagram and you think, wow, that's actually very handy. This is the luring pots I have dotted around. Now I can actually combine them. So that's, that's how you probably would have found out. And I guess um, there is, because... People are now starting to find out you can actually do this. A lot of people now will tell their friends. Yeah, word of mouth is the yes, best marketing exactly. ever. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of our customers. First of all, their partners sign up. 
that's always a very nice one because one found out the other one follows quite soon after that but then uh, a wider wider group of people will follow and we always talk about the birthday party effect uh, uh-huh. when actually people talk about their pension pots on birthday parties it's like that um, episode of friends where the one where everybody, everybody turns 30 but they talk about pension b instead well there's a content idea for you um so that's people finding it, but the, you guys are, are dealing still with, with an old industry. You talked about some of the automation. You've actually had some, some battles with the industry. Do you want to talk us through um, you know, kind of the divide between providers who want to stop change and those who are trying to put consumers first? Yes. I mean, I think we've definitely had a few battles. We definitely have some ongoing battles, frankly, with the industry. Um, when, we, you know, when we started Pension B, we were pretty astounded by what we found in terms of practices um, at certain providers. I think transfer times is the obvious um, kind of thing that stood out to us. Um, and there were many instances where consumers had to wait 180 days or more um, for their own money to be moved, right? Jeez. And And the reason given for that by the pension companies responsible is that it's on paper. Well, that's not really the consumer's problem uh, because they're paying your fees and they expect a digital service and some level of customer service that is fit for this century, not not the previous one. So that's kind of, you know, transfer times was very clear. We found ridiculous fees. Um, Just so, for transferring. So. Well, for trans, yeah, exit fees for sure. I mean, we've seen exit fees as high as 96%. Um, and, and that is, I mean, that is insane, right? What? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and these days they're not even called exit fees. Um, they have special terms in the market. They're called market value reductions, deferred advisor fees, you know. Predatory oh. sounds better. That's creepy, punitive fees. Yes. Now, to us, it's an exit fee. Yeah. You will find that many providers will still argue that it's not an exit fee, but, they call it what, an admin fee? fee? What are they no, calling it's, it? it's, well, the things that I told you, the, yeah. you know, complicated language. And for some reason, there's a great excuse as to why it exists. Um, but there's anything, always a great excuse. <laughs> anything that, yeah. you know, kind of prevents consumers from switching, from exercising their right to switch, that that is an exit fee. And so we found, we found a lot of these things and we've um, started publishing an annual index called the Robin Hood Index, um, where we disclose the best uh, and the worst uh, of what we have found over the course of the previous year. In Sherwood Forest. Um, so, uh, but you, you just bashing the industry or is there anybody collaborating with you well look we're actually part of the association of british insurers Mm -hmm. so we are actually in the club Mm -hmm. um and we do tend to work very collaboratively with certain companies and there are you know quite a few household names that do want to put the consumer first but they struggle uh because they have you know thousands and thousands of products that they need to deal with um the institution is not geared up in order to make change. Um, so the, the intention is there. Uh, whereas I think that there are definitely some companies where the intention is not there uh, because it's against their own interests. So in the U.S., one of the largest lobbying groups in Washington, D.C. is the AARP. So it's an association for people that look like me. <laughs> Over 50, they would love you. They would they would be your greatest um, partners in, in getting the word out for you. Do you have anything like that in the U.K.? 
a large lobby group. A large association for folks that might be balding and over 50. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, there could be a few. I yeah. can't think of a lobbying group. There's oh. definitely kind of affinity groups um, for, for over 50-year-olds. Interesting. Um, speaking of the future and evolution and uh, getting older, um, your hive is growing. Um, the, the bee will get older and, um, and hopefully make some honey. Um, but, it, but are you looking at stuff beyond pensions or you know, what, what's kind of next for you guys? Are you after a million customers? What's the big hairy goal that's out there? Yeah, we're after a million customers um, and we're focused on pensions. So the pensions market just there's so much wrong with it still and there's so much we can do um, and it's so big that we feel like we've only made a tiny dent it's almost like the journey's just one percent finished yes it's almost like that <laughs> especially if you consider the size of the market um and in in many ways we're just getting started but i think this theme of you know how does your pension play with your other finances is is going to become you know, much more prevalent. And, and do you plan to do some more stuff with some of the bigger incumbent banks who don't often pension stuff? Like, you know, open banking could be really key for you guys. There's a, there's a lot of opportunity there, I suppose. Well, we are working in partnership with some of the major pension providers in the country. Interesting. All right, well, that concludes our Pension B takeover. It's been absolutely awesome. So thanks very much for having us around the hive. Uh, where can people find out more about Pension B? www.pensionb.com Jasper, anywhere people should look for your Twitter accounts, anything like that? Um, well, Pension B, of course, but uh, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter. Jasper Martins? Yeah, we all pretty yeah. much on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. Is your Twitter handle Queen B? If it's not, it should be. No, it's just my name. It's a bit boring. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'll talk to your marketing group after this. We'll have words. We'll sort it out. All right. Um, and you can find us, listeners, on Twitter at Fintech Insiders. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode, whether it's B-themed or not. Uh, and leave us a review because um, that would be amazing. Uh, we'll have more insights and takeovers very, very soon. Thank you for listening and goodbye for now. Thank you. Thank you.